Angie has made it easier than ever to hire high-quality pros to get all your home service jobs done well. Just bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie will connect you with local pros who match your specific needs. Or book a service instantly at an upfront price. So join the millions of homeowners who use Angie to care for their homes and get your next home service job done well. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. Welcome to another edition of the Hang Time Podcast. Seku Smith in Atlanta. My main man, John Schumann in New Jersey. Action pack week around the NBA shoe drama ensues basically at every turn. The week three power rankings are live on NBA.com. Make sure you check those out every Monday. Done exquisitely by my man, John Schumann. And Shu, before we dive into the power rankings, let me vent for a minute. <laughs> Go for it. <laughs> Let, let me just remind the world, the basketball world in particular, that you are only as good as your biggest star. And this is all to do with the Cavaliers firing Toronto after six games. And it's not even just about T. Lou. It could be whatever coach they fired six games into a season that we all anticipated would be a complete train wreck. You lose LeBron James in free agency. You have a roster that's put together specifically to cater to everything that is LeBron James. You got the 30 and over club basically on your roster. Kyle Corver's 37, Channing Fry's 35, J.R. Smith's 33, George Hill 32. Even Kevin Love, who's your best player now, is 30. So, of course, six games into what should be a complete clean slate of a season for this entire organization, you uproot everything and fire Toronto. Kevin Love reportedly could be out for the next month with a toe injury. And you think it's the coach? You think a new coach is going to fix what ails you as a franchise? Let me explain to people what it is that ails the Cavaliers shoe. They have lived in fantasy land for the last four years, same way they did previously when LeBron James was there, in assuming that they have something that was built independent of LeBron James, that there was some system or some expectation that they would be a certain kind of team without LeBron James. That is a fallacy. That is complete make-believe on the Cleveland Cavaliers' part. And we see franchises do this all the time. They lose a star player, and they decide that it's everybody's fault, that they're no longer as good as they thought they would be or should be. When the fact is, if you build an organization shoe around the player and you don't do anything while that player's there to steal yourself, to prepare yourself for a future without him, this is what happens when he's gone. There's a reason the San Antonio Spurs survived from one era to the next because they were prepared. There's a reason the Los Angeles Lakers spent five years out of the playoff mix in the Western Conference after Kobe Bryant left because they were not prepared for life after Kobe. I mean, I'm, this, this isn't rocket science. This is very simple stuff. When you're good and you have a great player or players and that breaks up, if you haven't done anything to fill in the blanks and, and patch up the holes while you had that star player there so in case he's not around, you've got an opportunity to at least be competitive, this is what you end up with. So it's not, I'm not mad at you know them for firing Teron Lou specifically. I'm mad at them for firing whoever the coach would have been in this same circumstance. It's short-sighted, and you don't give your organization any chance of success when you don't have the continuity needed to build for something like this, for this event. That Correct me if I'm wrong. Did we not all speculate for an entire season that LeBron might leave? Like, was this some shocker to Kobe Altman and Dan Gilbert and the people in Cleveland? 
Because if it was, I, I need to turn the clock back and see if they were paying attention to all the stuff that the rest of us were. But I, I mean, they're, they're dead last in your power rankings this weekend. Am I right, you? Correct. I haven't seen a clear sort of explanation about whether this is about there isn't one the job Ty Lue has done in the first two weeks of the season, or is it about hey he was the right coach for the last three years. And he did a great job over the last three years, but he's not the right coach for whatever we have coming forward. And we don't know what we they have coming forward because they still have a ton of veterans. Like you just like you like you you know went into detail with a ton of older guys. You know, I, I mean, I, I I think he is somewhat responsible for how bad this team has been def- defensively over the last two years. You know, a big part of that is personnel. Like they don't have very good defensive personnel, but coaches also got to be able to hold guys accountable for lack of effort and lack of focus on that end of the floor. But like you said, with this team, I mean, they don't have, I mean, especially with Kevin Love missing the last couple of games, I mean, they just have nothing offensively. And as we noted, nothing defensively to really anchor them. So I, I don't get it. And Tom Ziller put it well this morning. He said something like Tyron Lue is the first guy on the lifeboat, on the life raft. (laughs) (laughs) I'd like to add that the second seat is being taken up by all the money that T. Lue is taking with him out of Cleveland. But also, I'm not going to assume that he's happier not coaching than he would be coaching a bad team. You know him better than I do. I don't want to assume that he's fine with this and because coaches want to coach. So who knows? And obviously, it's there's a ton of questions going forward, you know, are they going, you know, Kevin Love is one thing, but what about their other veteran guys who could possibly help um, other teams? I mean, it's clear you got to start taking this thing apart. Yeah, Kyle Korver obviously is is everybody, every team could use more shooting. Kyle Korver is un- under contract for next year, but has a, 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 like a three and a half million dollar guarantee. George Hill is another one that's under contract for next year, but with a small guarantee. So I'd be curious definitely to see what the future holds for this team as far as roster construction and and especially with Kevin Love possibly out another month, they're going to stay at the bottom of the Eastern Conference standings. And they, they you know, any hope for even contending for, or, you know, sticking around in the 8, 9, 10 race until February or March is probably gone. I don't get you in, in this, my major gripe with a lot of teams when they, when they start taking it apart is what did you think you had? Like if you're Cleveland, did you really, I mean, I, I know Tristan Thompson and some of the other players on that roster were talking like they, you know, they haven't taken a step back at all and we're still going to be right there. You didn't really, I mean, as an organization, you didn't really think you were going to be a championship team now that LeBron's gone. I mean, surely you didn't have that in your mind. If you're the Cavaliers as an organization, you know, you do know what walked out the door in free agency, right? In the, most optimistic view anybody could have said that they're like sixth best in the Eastern Conference. There's Boston, Toronto, Philadelphia, Milwaukee, Indiana. You know, hey, they beat Indiana in a playoff series, but they are outscored by 40 points in that series with LeBron James. So I don't know what they were trying to accomplish, you know, maybe it's a person, you know, hey, we can get to the playoffs without LeBron would be a, you know, a heck of an accomplishment. And I'm not one to say that if you're not a top three or four seed, it's a bad season, you know, teams can can accomplish stuff without contending. But that would have been the most optimistic view just to be in the bottom half of the Eastern Conference playoff picture. And obviously that is not happening. It's their worst start since losing seven straight to kick off the 1995-96 season. And I don't enjoy any team lighting the dynamite before Halloween. We're not, I mean, it's not even Halloween yet in this thing. I mean, it's it's a wrap in Cleveland. After four straight years in the finals, not, and I, I guarantee you there are a lot of people that will say, I'll take those four straight years in the finals, the championship in 2016, 
seen in that 50 plus year drought. If this, if I have to do this on the back end, I get that. Heck yeah. I get what the trade-off is. For sure. And I, Absolutely. Yeah. And I'm not, I'm not knocking the fans for that. All I'm saying is I would like for there to be some organizational fortitude every now and then when you, where you actually plan for what comes next. These franchises in every sport always talk about the future, doing this for the future. I would for once like to see somebody other than the gold standard championship franchises that do it on a regular basis. I'd like to see somebody else be prepared for what comes next. And this is another one of those instances where I just feel like the Cavaliers, they were sleepwalking basically through the last season. They had to know it was coming to an end. They didn't do anything to stop it or to, to at least prepare for it. Yeah, it, it doesn't make you appreciate, you know, Boston, obviously just having both stars in their prime yes. and future stars and also Toronto and what they've done with building basically you know, they've had the East best record over the last five years, yes. but they've also built this young core of players that you can, yeah, young bench that, you know, that has come along uh, along the way. And a lot of that was G League guys. I mean, if you look at that great bench unit they had last year, all those guys played the previous year in the G League. The Van Fleets, DeLon Wright, and Pascal Siakam, that whole group. And so, it, you know, you just got to appreciate what, you know, organizations like that have done in playing for the present, but always having a, a future in mind. Yeah, I mean, and if Kobe Altman has been reported, wanted to play the younger guys, and, and T. Lou, like most coaches are tend to do, wanted to ride as veterans. I would ask you, what young town? I mean, Zizic and Jetty Osman. I mean, what young core are you turning to if you're the Cavaliers? And it's again in one of those instances where maybe you know an organization values its young guys in ways that the rest of us with discerning eyes do not. I mean, I'm not here to tell you that Jetty Osman is not going to be a good player in the NBA. But if, if I'm going to put a season he on his starting. Yeah, but I'm saying if I'm putting a season on his shoulders and, and on Zizic and on, <laughs> on Sexton and his, you know, how unfair is that to those young players to throw them? I mean, all you got to do, shoot, is look to Sacramento and, who you know, who get to their credit. You know, they've seen some early signs of potential and maybe a, a possibility of turning things around. But that's what you get into when you go young without an eye towards the balance needed to be competitive. You got to, anyway, you got you got to do a better job of preparation, whether you're preparing to compete at a high level in, in the distant future or whether you want to do it now. But the worst thing you can do to me is to embrace the dysfunction that the Cavaliers are now going to be swimming in for the foreseeable future. I think we can also look just look back at the Kyrie Irving trade and yes. and the lack of yes. sort of assets that they got in that deal. You know, kind of you know they got the pick that became Sexton, but I guess they were banking on Brooklyn being worse than they were last year. And 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 maybe if yeah, maybe if Brooklyn if that Brooklyn pick is top two or three in the draft last year, we're we're looking at this differently. Yeah, no question. Moving on to the power ranks, I was wrestling. I was just upset. You know, I knew somebody was going to pay the price for the bad start they were having. It was T. Lou. He gets to go home with his 128-83 record in three-plus seasons as a head coach of the Cavaliers. He gets his money. He gets the peace of mind of knowing that he doesn't have to slog through this tragic season that they're about to have in Cleveland. So it's not about him. It's about the idea of what you're doing as a franchise and how you're building. And that, again, leads us to the top five of the power rankings this week. The Raptors at one, the Warriors at two, shoe, the Bucks at three nuggets at four pelicans at five that is a that is a interesting combination of teams i guarantee you nobody would have guessed that would be the fab five or the order three weeks into this season if we're talking in the dead of summer who do you think is going to be at the top of the league this early in the year is it is it a testament to the work the raptors have done with Kawhi and making sure they came back in this season ready to roll that they're number one still i mean I, i've watched them kyle lowry has been fantastic yeah i think he's sort of 
uh, if, if, if it's possible, gone under the radar with, with an incredible start. You know, he ranks uh, third in the league and effective field goal percentage has been just fantastic so far. And, you know, I, yeah, it's interesting how, how the Bucks and the Raptors, the only undefeated teams, and they've both come in with new coaches and new starters. Raptors added Leonard and, and Danny Green and, and changed their lineup so that they're playing Serge Ibaka mostly at center. The Bucks came in with, you know, new systems on, on, on both ends of the floor, adding Brooke Lopez to their starting lineup. So, you know, while other teams who have remained relatively stable have sort of struggled out of the gate, and other teams that have made changes have struggled out of the gate. These got these two teams, for one reason or another, have started really strong. Last two unbeaten, and they play tonight at eight o'clock on League Pass. Sir, I, I, the one thing I'll say about the Bucks is, you know, the their offense has sort of been what has grabbed peach people's attention, and they've, you know, obviously they're shooting more threes. They're playing basically five out and letting uh, Giannis Antetokounmpo attack with floor spacing around him. Brooke Lopez out in the corner, and Eric Bledsoe shooting more threes. Chris Middleton has been incredible so far but it really it's it's on the defensive end of the floor where where they're more improved from last year and differences start. Last year, they allowed a league high 39 points per game in the restricted area. Uh, this year, they're allowing a league low 27 points per game in the restricted area. Protecting the basket had been a, lo- a big problem for them with their defense last few years and that's that's where they've been most improved and obviously defensive stops allow Antetokounmpo to get out in the open floor more often and you know we should see some of that tonight. I would tell you that that's the biggest area in terms of evidence of Mike Budenholzer's impact on this Bucks team is you just watch everybody talks about the way when he was in Atlanta they were trying to be the Spurs East and implementing that style of play but it it's a defense first style really it's really about building better team defense and he did the same thing in Atlanta where they they got a lot of attention for how well and fluid they played offensively but the backbone of that team was Al Horford Paul Millsap and the fact that they were a really good defensive team with guys, you know, that first year with Demari Carroll and Corver, Jeff T, with guys who hadn't been known particularly as great individual defenders over the course of their careers. Does this tell, and I don't know if it does the same thing for you, but it kind of speaks to me to the contrast in styles of the coaches who have had the Bucks. You know, Jason Kidd was very, I always had veteran players on that team tell me how they thought he was a genius and he was just so brilliant. He could run a practice without a sheet, basically going over the stuff in his head and relaying it to the players. And then you got a guy like Bud, who's a who's known as a very meticulous, detail-oriented, by-the-book coach. The contrast in the styles of those two guys, does it stick out to you at all in terms of how this Bucks team, how different they look now compared to when Kidd was coaching them? I think so. And, and I, I do still think that Kidd, as a basketball savant, yeah, that just not having been on a bench before, you know, before he started coaching the Nets, you know, he basically went straight from playing for the Knicks to coaching the Nets. And then after one year in Brooklyn, going to Milwaukee, I think Kit did some smart things with the Bucks, And but like just being able to adjust when things weren't going right was an issue. Mm-hmm. And so I, I hope that we haven't seen the last of him as a coach. I just, I just think with Budenholzer, it's, it's, it's just the guy has been was on the Spurs bench for so long, so many years. He's seen everything and just knows what works and what doesn't, and and how to best sort of put this team together. And and the personnel changes they make shouldn't be overlooked. You know, adding Lopez and Il- 
Ilyasova were critical. And like I said, Chris Middleton's been fantastic. And yeah. I think this that dude is in line to be an all-star this year if the Bucks stay in the top three or four in the East. It's a carryover from how well he played in the playoffs last oh. year in that series against Boston <laughs> where he was just I remember I remember ridiculous. running running, you know, playoff stats after every round and like Chris Middleton was always at the top of the shooting numbers because he was he was just on fire in that first series. I think his effective field goal percentage was somewhere in the seventy percent range and and so you know he's going to cool off a little bit but I still think he's an all-star player he they 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 got into a sort of a close game with the Knicks last week and down the stretch it wasn't Giannis it was Middleton Lopez pick and rolls targeted at Ennis Cantor that basically pushed them to a a 9-2 run that decided the game against the Knicks and and you know he's not just a shooter he can make plays and and he could shoot off the dribble which has been I mean, his step back has looked incredible in this in this early season. He is somebody that probably doesn't get appreciated enough. From the the bad to the good, now back to the bad. Shoot. There's a long line in the in the sort of uh, <laughs> dis- dysfunction uh, rankings. Club right dysfunction, now. baby. What is what is going on with the Wizards? We'll break down a couple teams here. Give me the autopsy on the Washington Wizards. Shoot, they, they took the biggest dive in NBA.com power rankings this week. What is what is the deal? The defense is terrible. They've been getting killed on the glass, and we talked about this a little bit last week. Where you know they don't have a, a starting center really, and it's weird to think that they're a little bit desperate to get Dwight Howard back, but he can do nothing but help them on the glass and they've been out rebounded by at least 11 boards in all six of their games so far but at the same time it's you know their defenses their defensive issues go well beyond that their offensive issues are are there you know guys are sniping at each other about shots John Wall remains basically one of the worst pull-up jump shooters in the league but still takes a lot of pull-up jumpers and their assist rate is something interesting last year they ranked third in assist rate basically the percentage of their buckets that were assisted now they're right now they're bottom five that's a little sign that uh, they're not on the same page offensively and you know they've got guys sniping at each other after that loss in Sacramento where they committed three they had three possessions in the last 30 seconds or they had four possessions in the last 30 seconds where they had a chance to tie or take the lead. They committed three turn- turnovers in the last 30 seconds. Dwight Howard hadn't played yet, Shu. Um, <laughs> I'm assuming they're going to get a Dwight bump when he finally gets back. In the- I don't know. Man. I, they, it, maybe, like I said, can only help them in regard to rebounding. But, I mean, if they're going to get better, if they're going to be a playoff team in the East, improvement has to start with John Wall, Brad Beal, Otto Porter, the guy is getting paid. Improvement has to start on defense and just effort and communication and, and all that stuff that leads to getting consistent stops. I guarantee you the, the one person watching this wizard situation with the biggest smirk on his face wears a Clippers uniform these days. He got a front row seat last night. I know. <laughs> I guarantee you he's sitting back going, told you. I don't know if it's the effort shoe. I don't know if it's coaching staff not being able to press the right buttons and coax the right kind of energy out of these guys. I don't know if it's the roster. I don't even know where to start pointing fingers at in Washington because to me there's so much, so much dysfunctional about what they got going on, and it's been there. Like we've seen the signs of it. One team that we didn't know was going to be in club dysfunction this early this part of the season was the Houston Rockets. Obviously not having James Harden hurts, but even when he was playing, they still looked dysfunctional. Trevor Reza was this important? I thought he was a huge piece of what they did, but was he this important? I just think, um, you know, the combination of Reza and Bob Mute just make them that much thinner at those forward positions. James Ennis uh, is out with a hamstring injury, and so they started 
Michael Carter Williams for a couple of games. And a few people surprised did not work out. Carmelo Anthony now was in the starting lineup. And so I, I still think they just, they're just searching for answers beyond, you know, James Harden, Chris Paul, Clint Capella, like a, a similar situation as we've seen in, in Oklahoma City where they've got three guys they can depend on. And then how do they fill it out after that? And, you know, there's a lot of teams in this league that would love to have three those three guys. But when you're in the context of trying to contend for a title, the Houston roster suddenly looks kind of thin. And it's not a coincidence, I think, that they – you know, or reportedly offering four first-round draft picks for Jimmy Butler. And by the way, that report came out like not long after I said last week that that the Rockets would not be the same team at the end of the year <laughs> as they were at the beginning. So we'll see. I mean, I think, you know, if they once they have Paul was suspended and then when he came back, James Harden was out, they get those two guys healthy and playing together again, that will right a lot of wrongs. But I still think they are thin at the forward positions, especially in regards to just guys that can play both ends of the floor. Carmelo can score, can probably shoot off the catch pretty well, but he's going to hurt you on the other end of the floor. P.J. Tucker is all of a sudden basically <laughs> really, really, really important to this team because if he were to get hurt at some point, like then they'd be in, in serious trouble. But they need to define more depth and more reliable two-way player. I don't I don't suspect the Rockets will do panic move that doesn't involve a deal. That's the good thing about Houston is that if they find themselves in a bind, Daryl Morey's gonna go out and make a deal and and try and make their team better as opposed to the blowing it up, you know, and then worrying about where the pieces fall after, you know, the the blast rate is established. They are all in with yeah. the contracts they owe Harden and Paul. Paul, especially given his age, you know, just how much, you know, they're paying him over the next four years. Correct. They are all in on pushing this current core as far as it can go. And so that's why you see a four number one draft picks offer, even with the hindsight that we have with the Brooklyn Boston deal of five years ago. You know, like yes. we all saw what happens when you trade too many picks, but the Rockets are like hey we want we want a championship we want and this is we may never have a better chance at a championship in the next 10 15 years and so but the the one thing with the four draft pick offer is that it doesn't include the two core guys that they want to keep around in Eric Gordon and and PJ Tucker you know my original initial thought when I assumed that the Rockets would get in the Jimmy Butler bidding is that a a package would start with Eric Gordon something that the, the Wolves could use right now but the four draft pick offer reportedly doesn't include Gordon or Tucker basically it's it's contracts plus the four picks and and so that's trying to maximize this year's roster and keep pushing for title contention. Right. I don't just on on the mem- the scars and the memories of what Brooklyn went through trading away all those people. I just don't like the <laughs> idea of it. I just even even for a player who might be as perfect a fit as Jimmy Butler could be on that team and I say that knowing that perfect and fit and Jimmy Butler don't always go in the same sentence. The thing is about that Brooklyn team is that they didn't already have two Hall yeah, of Famers exactly. on their roster. Exactly. I mean, they traded for two Hall of Famers, but those two guys were not in their prime. The Rockets, you know, have James Harden and Chris Paul and want to go all in on that pairing that they already have. So many good things are going on, Shu. I'm, I'm, I hate that I'm I'm shining the light and focusing on some of the dysfunction. Even with score, you know, the scoring up like it is and teams, you know, other teams playing really well, 
it's hard to not look at these situations in Washington, in Houston, in Cleveland, and some of these other places and not scratch your head and wonder, how does this happen? I mean, so let's go to the other side. Who's your most pleasant surprise for the early season, other than the Bucks and the Raptors, who we talked about? Already. Sure. I'll be perfectly yeah. honest with you, Shu. I have been extremely and very pleasantly surprised at how well Detroit has played, even with them losing their, you know, their first game. I, w- I was hopeful that Dwayne Casey would have an impact on them right away, and I feel like he has. I got to admit that. The Clippers have shocked me a little bit. Yeah, I watched some of that game last night. Their bench has been fantastic. Yeah, I left them for dead after last season, and here they are. Yeah, I didn't know what to expect. I thought it was going to be, we've got some veterans, but they're all on... Most of them are expiring deals. We're going to play for a little bit. They're going to realize right away that they just can't contend in the West, and then they start selling off their parts. But they have been... Now, the one thing they have... The Clippers have taken advantage of the Thunder, two games against the Rockets. So they've sort of taken advantage of, and Washington, obviously on Sunday, of some teams that haven't figured it out yet early in the season. But I will say their bench has been terrific. Lou Williams, uh, after a a slow start, has been on fire. Montrez Harrell has been terrific. You guys, you guys back out there. My man Milos (laughs) is back, made his debut over the weekend, already throwing some ridiculous tossing some ridiculous dimes around the floor and you know Boban is not just you know he's like not just, uh, he's not yeah. he's just yeah he's just not a a, a circus show he, he, I mean yes he can touch the rim at the floor <laughs> at the same time but he's also uh sort of an effective guy in in short minutes and you know this team is deep and Shea Gilgis Alexander has been has looked terrific yeah. off their bench as well you know their their starting guards Beverly and, and Bradley haven't been that great but the guys that they have come off the bench have have been terrific well and in the Clippers are exactly what I'm talking about if you're going to survive post whoever your stars are like during a when you're on an upward trajectory and you and you're rocking and then something happens and you decide all right we're starting over we're scrapping this i'm sure a lot of people myself included at sometimes it looked like the clippers were gonna go scorched earth but they haven't they've kept the right mix of players and, and doc has figured out a way schedule you know i don't whatever the schedule is you win and lose games in the nba there is no strength of schedule component that factors into whether or not you get in the playoffs, you 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 win enough games to get above the above the eight team watermark, you're in. But I just I appreciate the way they have steadied themselves in the wake of the departures of Chris Paul and Blake Griffin and DeAndre Jordan and I guess you could put Austin Rivers and who you know and all these other players that were a part of that Clippers run when they were trying to get the you know play themselves into the conference finals and the finals. There's a way to do it, Shu, and there's a way not to do it. And the Clippers remain flexible yes. and they will be going shopping yeah. in the summer of 20, 2019. So take notes, Cleveland. They, yeah, I think they they've set themselves up pretty well to go star hunting, you know, and we'll see how how that plays out you know nothing is a guarantee in that regard but they're also playing well right i mean they also got reliable vets you know we'll see if guys like gallinari can stay healthy but they're pretty darn deep you know right now deep and with a flexible roster i, I like you know i really like the position they're yeah. in I, I just i like the way some teams handle their business other teams have me yanking out the last few strands of hair i do have on the top of my head so don't forget check out the full rankings at nba.com slash power ranking shoe does them every week every monday you can get a hold of them good stuff as always the the tidbits in there are as usually as as they always are it's not usually as they always are spectacular i, I love the uh the Steph and Clay three point shooting stat. <laughs> shooting a combined forty one percent three pointers. Pretty good. Not bad. Just a little bit worse than than last year. Yeah, not bad. Even though Clay can't throw it in the ocean right now, but I don't care. Keep shooting Clay. Keep shooting it. 
We'll be back on Thursday, Shoe, with another episode of the Hangtime Podcast. We'll dive a little deeper into a specific team. I'm I'm not going to reveal what team it is, but make sure you tune in Thursday and check that out. Be sure to subscribe to Hangtime on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts for a new episode every Monday and Thursday all season long. Don't forget to leave a review, please. We need it. We need the feedback. Saquon Smith in Atlanta, John Schumann in New Jersey, our producer John Hartzell, always rocking it behind the glass. We appreciate you joining us, and we'll see you right here next time on the Hangtime Podcast.